Vital Educators podcast is hosted by self-development coach, investor, and renowned educator, Ahmed Saqib. Ahmed will speak to fellow educators, young professionals, ordinary people like you and me about their life choices that allowed them to become successful in their careers. He will also delve deeper into the psychology and their perception of success, the good, bad, and the ugly. For young students, he will discuss techniques to help you with your learning and development. Ahmed is committed to helping you determine what you want to do in life. He will share his own life experiences of self-discovery and self-realization that has led him to launch this venture. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to know more about various paths to becoming successful in any profession or passion. Hi guys, Ahmed here from Vital Educators. So today I have a very special guest on. She is a doctor in physical therapy. She is a mindset coach. She has done incredible work in personal development, health and physical education. She's also the founder of Kirby Method Consulting and Kirby Method of Physical Therapy. Thank you very much, Alice, for coming on to the show. How's it going today? You're right? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. I'm fascinated by a lot of this, and I know that you do a lot of work with uh, with people who have a lot of stress, who are going through anxiety, who are going, to, who've gone through some sort of trauma. And you, you talk about restoring nervous system regulation. Could you kindly explain to the listeners and my Myself, enlighten us, please. What do you mean by restoring the nervous system? Sure. So a lot of the work that I do around uh, trauma and chronic stress is derived from the somatic experiencing techniques. And so somatic experiencing is a modality developed by Dr. Peter Levine. It works with healing trauma, as well as healing chronic stress from a autonomic nervous system and physiological perspective. So it really works with what's happening in the body. Um, and so it's, what's known as a bottom up therapy, or sometimes we'll talk about it in terms of healing from the inside out. So instead of needing to do a lot of cognitive, um, exercise around a particular event or, you know, what your stress means or why you're having, we actually work more with what's happening in the body in the here and now, like as we maybe bring up some, um, issues around stress, or you can, sometimes I'll just even have a client kind of recount their day. And as they're talking to me about their day, I'll, I'll do a lot of pausing and say, okay, well, like what's happening in your body now. And then it really starts to bring people back into themselves and to notice like, oh, I didn't even notice, you know, I'm hunched up and my hands are clenched into fists and my jaw is really tight. And so then we can really start working with, okay, let's just pay attention to the physiology. And when we talk about nervous system regulation, all of us have kind of a natural baseline. Our biological systems are designed like this. Animals in the wild have it and humans, we have it as well. But because we live in, um, you know, I'm in the Western world, I'm in the United States, um, but I think most parts of the Western world were quite fast paced and we've really moved away from, let's say our evolutionary or biological roots where we don't have the same ability to go through these cycles of activation and settling that maybe we once had. And you can look at animals in the wild where, you know, there'll be a stressor and they'll run from, let's say the, the deer's running from the lion or something across the plains. And then if the deer gets away, he'll take a minute and he'll kind of shake off and do a little bit of discharge or, um, 
yeah, maybe he'll do some movement. He'll kind of process that high sympathetic charge or that high stress response within the body. And then the deer will like pop up and be right back to living his deer life. He doesn't hold on to and carry that stress. And so, but as humans, we tend to be in this cycle of perpetuated high stress, right? We like wake up, we're checking our phone then we're driving, maybe we're in traffic and then, you know, we're dealing with something at work or something with the kids. And it's like, we don't ever allow our systems to come back down into that more of like a settling cycle. Or if we do, it's for very brief moments. And so when we talk about nervous system regulation and establishing a baseline to really be well-regulated within the system, it's to have that capacity to move through, you know, appropriate activation cycles and appropriate settling cycles versus constantly being stuck on on. Or for some people, it can be more like stuck on off and where they're really in more of a depressed state or a lower energy state. And it's hard to, you know, activate the life force energy and move through the, the, you know, the day in the world and, you know, and be a part of things where it's more like a shutting down. So both can happen, but I think we're more familiar with that high stress pattern um, at least here in the United States. And like I said, I think in the Western world in general, this is, relatively typical of what we deal with. So my question would become, after listening to you, while you were talking about the deer and you're comparing it with the human, one of the things that came to my head was, why is it, why was it that the deer was, was not carrying that stress after it was attacked by the lion, for example? And uh, one of the things that came to my mind was the fact that deer may not have this idea of conscious and subconscious if it's hungry it eats maybe that might be a conscious activity it obviously it hunts for food but whereas as humans we are persistently and constantly thinking and we can replay a certain situation in our head over and over again to make us more and more stressed do you not think that plays a part in persistently uh, humans being persistently stressed out in these days and these situations Oh, absolutely. I think because we're in our heads all the time, that's a big proponent of why we are so stressed out. Um, because it's, we're not taking time to get into our bodies. And that big thing with the deer, it's a physiological and a biological process that's happening with that deer being able to go through the discharge. There's a little bit of shaking you'll see. And sometimes you'll see it in humans too, after an accident or any kind of a high stress situation, maybe you pull over, you'll notice your body twitching and that's a biological response. It's a physiological response. So part of this work is just paying more attention to what's happening in our bodies and, and bringing some of that attention down from our brain and from this busy conscious mind, you know, it's wonderful. We have this neocortex. We have the ability to make executive decisions and to reason. It's great. It's a gift. Um, and we can, it can become like overpowering where we're completely not listening to our basic biologic, our bi basic bio biological systems as well. Um, and so I think if we can come back more into our bodies as we move through the world, I'm not saying we completely cut off our neocortex. Of course not. You know, we, we need both. That's how we're designed. And if we can come back a little bit more into the body and notice what's happening, you know, if we, if we have an incident, like if we're driving to work and someone cuts us off and we have to swerve and then we're like even more fired up, but we don't take the five minutes just to stop, you know, to pull off when we can and just sit someplace safe and notice what happens in our body and let that kind of dis like let the stress discharge a little bit. Um, that will help us. And that way we won't need to keep replaying it. I think part of the, 
this tendency to, to replay these incidents, it's because we never actually like closed the loop, the physiological loop of the incident. And so we're trying to figure out a way to get closure. I think a lot of times or to move forward from the incident, but because it's like that energy is trapped inside of our bodies or trapped within the nervous system, then it's much harder to think our way out of it because it's not really, I mean, maybe it's trapped in our thought processes, but if we can work with what's happening in the body, it becomes so much easier to, um, to bring the mind on board with that, I guess is a way to say that. So do you think that uh, that is the reason why people are going through depression and PTSD these days as well, as you already know, is because they're replaying that th- those those traumatic experiences over and over again in their head? And um, what kind of steps do they need to take in order to overcome that? I know it's a vast topic and depends on mm-hmm. the depth of the trauma. But in general, for example, somebody gets fired, right? And, and they've given their life tooth and nail to that job and now they don't have a a source of income for example that's a big blow to them and their family now a a person who goes through that period um and i believe it or not if i'm and i again i'm all about being vulnerable on this podcast i've gone through this myself um and and i'm i experienced like i couldn't sleep at night i was extremely sweaty um extremely anxious i kind of hated myself um i was always constantly thinking about what kind of faults i made during my employment essentially so do you think it's necessary to be in that state or do you think it's completely unnecessary to even thinking about that thing state and just move on with with my life um so it's a that's a lot of that's kind of a lot of questions in one um but i'm happy to speak to that yeah so no it's fine i I ask questions like that too (laughs) after 10 minutes i stop talking i'm like what do you think um so i'll try to speak to each of them i think with you know with ptsd and those things it is very situationally dependent i think for anyone who is in a place where they're really, you know, kind of reliving trauma and not able to move forward in their lives, like find a practitioner who's trauma informed, find a, you know, a therapist or a practitioner who does some of these methods like somatic experiencing EMDR is another trauma therapy. I don't have a lot of personal experience with that, but I know, um, I know it works really well for people. So if you can seek out some kind of a professional who can help you, cause I don't advise people just lock themselves in a dark room, especially if they've had a lot of trauma and try to, you know, just, only do this stuff themselves. It's really, really instrumental and very helpful to have a practitioner or a supportive presence, you know, especially as we work with some of the deeper traumas. But, you know, I think you asked, is it necessary for us to relive these things and to like point out our, think about our faults and everything we did wrong? You know, I don't know if it's necessary or not. Is it helpful? Does that help us move forward in our lives? You know, not really. Um, but it's also really easy to say, you know, I, it kind of drives me crazy when I see these things that are, that are just like, let it go. It's like, well, yeah, but how, and what does that mean? And you know, what do we, what does that mean? This letting go, because I think in our systems as in life and, you know, the universe as a whole transformation works much better than simply just eliminating something. That's kind of the, um, the, you know, one of the, one of the universal laws, um, And so I think when you're in that place, A, you know, 
do, do spend a little bit of time and think about what you're grateful for. And I think that can be really played out as well. But when you really can take five minutes a day and give thanks for, you know, the fact that your health or whatever it is, even if it, even if you feel like you don't have much, if you can just take five minutes a day. And then the trick with that also is to notice as you're practicing your gratitude, that it's not just a mental exercise that you really start to take that in, into your body. Like, where do I feel this gratitude? what's happening in my body right now. And that's one way just to start opening that door to another, you know, to another reality or another version of your reality where it isn't just, I I don't think it's ever beneficial to just constantly beat yourself up or to constantly think about these are all the things I did wrong. Like, yes, we can use critical analysis and notice, oh, okay, I could have done this differently. That's how we, you know, can improve in a lot of areas, but to just be in it where you know, where we're constantly, you know, feeling shame, we can notice our physiology in those postures as well. You know, it's not as much fun. Typically when I introduce people to this work, I like to have them notice what's happening in their body when they feel good. Um, you know, and I sort of use good in quotes cause it's not a very descriptive word, but you know, when do you feel most like yourself? Can you think of a time in the past two weeks when you really felt like yourself? okay, great. Now like notice what happens in your body. Even just saying that I can feel some expansion in my chest. (sighs) Like I feel like inspired to take a breath. Um, and so the more we can open the door to these other states of being, that's part of, again, establishing that, that nervous system regulation, because it's not just a mental exercise. We're actually teaching our body that yes, we also have this available to us. We don't just have to have this stress, anxiety, strife. Um, and you know, there's going to be life events that are stressful. That's inevitable. Um, and I'm not always saying like, I'm definitely what I'm not saying is to pretend like it's not happening and to just have a positive outlook. That also drives me insane because it's, um, it's not particularly helpful, right? It's not really effective. If we could just flip a switch, that'd be wonderful. But if we can start to direct some of our attention to where we feel a little bit better, or where we have a sense of more expansion, or where we have more of a sense of feeling like ourselves, if we can begin spending a little bit more time with how noticing how we feel when we're in those places, it really can start to shift the whole thing. And we, we allow for, it, it trains our body and our nervous system that we can also experience that. And it doesn't just have to be, you know, chronic pain or stress or, you know, there's, I'm a horrible person because I messed up at my job and got fired. There's also this other, this other piece. Hmm. So in your um, expert opinion, you have seen gratitude will somehow counteract stress and, uh, and people who are feeling stressful, if they start thinking and start being thankful of the little minutia, minute things around them, they will be able to overcome um, adversity or overcome that negative state that they're in for a certain period of time. Am I correct in saying that? Yes, it definitely helps. It's a tool. Um, I'm not saying it's a, it's a cure all it's a tool for practice and cultivation, but there's a, a decent amount of research I know on gratitude and the physiological effects that it has. And there are, it does reduce some of the, the physical effects of stress, like the, you know, rapid heart rate, the sweating, the things you were mentioning earlier. Um, so it's actually linked and I wish I had an article on hand to reference. I don't, but I know they're out there. So you can do a search on, you know, PubMed or Google scholar and, and look for, um, gratitude articles. So that's becoming more and more established, like within the, the, 
you know, medical or scientific communities that yes, that does help with stress. So moving forward, um, I know that you work a lot with some hikers as well. Uh, Why have you chosen this specific type of people to work with? Right. So I actually, I don't work so much with hikers anymore. I've kind of transitioned um, into working more with, uh, I think that's some old information for a while. Yeah, I, I was, but I've transitioned now where it when with my physical therapy practice, I work more with the, the older adult population and I work more with um, patients that have neurological deficiencies. Like um, I have quite a few patients with Parkinson's disease and also um, p- like post CVA, post um, stroke patients. I like working with the nervous system and I like the older adult population. I do a lot of work with balance um, in that population and just building up endurance and helping really to build some of that self-efficacy because I think particularly as we age and it becomes harder to do things that we really once loved doing because our bodies do go through changes to be able to build some of that self-efficacy again and help people see, oh, no, wait, maybe I can't, you know, go run 10 miles, but maybe I can walk around the block. And um, that's been really lovely. I enjoy, I enjoy doing that work. And, you know, the older population is, it's living history, really. I have one lady that I've been working with for years. I saw her earlier today, actually, and she's 97. And she's, you know, we went and we took a walk and she's lovely. She's, you know, a wonderful person. And I've learned a lot from from working with her. So yeah, it's a population I enjoy. And to answer your question with with the hiking, I'm an avid hiker. So for a while, I was really targeting and work, working on hikers Um, I don't particularly love a ton of orthopedic physical therapy though, is what I realized. So I like doing more of the balance and the nervous system work. It's just more interesting to me. It's what I like better. But you can still do that with hikers as well. I realized because I hike as as well. Well, when I'm climbing a hill, for example, when I'm scrambling, my balance is kind of, depending on obviously where I'm putting my foot on, is really weird. And it happens many times where my, I won't say knee has been dislocated, but I've got tendonitis. And um, that that actually causes a lot of pain. It aggravates the knee uh, really badly. So to be honest with you, knowing like where to Mm. step and how to kind of lunge forward, um, Mm. that would be i think that could also play a, a vital role in i guess in your field in, in a sense don't you think i don't know did you do you do any work like that with hikers or what kind of work that you were normally getting with hikers yeah um definitely a lot of balance work and then just building up different muscle groups because a lot of times we'll really work in a like a forward planar motion so it's how we walk we we work a lot with moving forward and back so i really like to train with any population i'm working with but this is as you know really important in hiking being able to do those diagonal steps and do lateral stepping and to move in all different directions while having a really good sense of balance and stability and strength a lot of core work too which has helped me a ton um, but working on, you know, strengthening some of the, the transverse abdominis, that muscle that kind of forms an internal corset within your body is again, really beneficial for everyone. But with hiking, I think if we have, if, especially if we're, you know, crossing rivers or walking on logs or climbing up steep hills to be able to have that part of our musculature and our neuromuscular system, like really finely tuned up and ready to react, that will save you so much from falls and, um, losing your balance, things like that. And, and it also really can help your endurance because if you've got those muscles trained to help hold you upright, you're less likely to fatigue and you can, you can carry, you know, carry weight and go further with having good posture without really having to think about it. 
so yeah, it's a fun population to work with mostly because it's something I know really well. So I do a lot of those, those things on myself just to stay strong. Do you recommend your patients who you're dealing with, who are, who are suffering from stress or some sort of traumatic disorder uh, or disorder caused by a trauma, I should say, actually, uh, do you, do you advise them to go on a hike? Cause I have found that to be an amazing stress relief. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. That's one of like the, the cornerstones of my work really is to get people into nature. Um, because it's huge and it, I think it does, I think it affects us and I don't have any research to back this up, although I'm sure there is some, um, but I think it actually affects like our DNA and our, our ability to go outside and look at a tree and have our feet in the, in the dirt and especially to take steps on a natural surface. There's just something in that, that brings us back to our, I think our essential nature as humans. There's a study that said people who live in urban areas who had uh, a green or, or like a park or a green space within a one and a half mile of where they lived had lower levels of cortisol than people who lived with, with more than one and a half miles of green space from where they lived, if you know what I mean. So, so greenery clearly, um, or even, you know, like rain droplets, like hearing the sound of rain, um, that also um, lowers stress levels immensely as well. So I've seen that obviously it worked worked wonders for me like uh, but I have never tried gratitude like I've obviously I've tried gratitude like I've never used it as a specific remedy for for stress management so I will definitely try that because there's a lot of times where I'm like oh my god I've got so much to do and I'm so stressed and there's so many things going on and I I can't control I can't like my mind cannot rest and I guess in that moment in time, I should just stop and I should just start saying thanks for the little things I have in life, I guess, for having nails or for having luscious long hair or having eyelashes or something. So, so I mean, I, uh, so, I, so I look at that and, and I always wonder, um, I always wonder like, what can I do to optimize my stress, stress management skills? So gratitude, you said one. Hiking, you said another. Is there another third thing that you would say that uh, I should incorporate in my life, in my daily life, um, or say a weekly life or a monthly life? Because I go on a hike at least once a week. Um, and, and obviously, I, have, have, I don't practice gratitude, like I said to you. Is there anything else that I should incorporate in my life in order to manage stress really well? Sure. I mean, I think there's lots of things that can be really helpful. So it's finding what works for you, what you're actually going to do and, and put time into, because there's a million wonderful things, but if you don't like doing them, then it's not for you. Right. So, um, yeah, the gratitude's great. And with that, again, and this is part of the, the other piece that I will say around this is to really notice what's happening in your body and to really take that gratitude in. Um, and so it's, it's not just, I know some people say to make a gratitude list and that's wonderful. That can be really helpful. But if you're just doing, you know, lip service to the practice, it's not really mm. going to inf infiltrate your nervous system or your beingness. So mm. if you can, you know, take the five minutes to really notice or two minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time. That's the thing. And really mm. notice. Um, it's kind of like affirmations. It's kind of like affirmations. You know, I feel that I feel ex what you're saying is I feel like that with affirmations. Like I, uh, people are always like, you should, aff you, you should affirm, you should affirm everything in the present. And I'm like, I don't feel it. Right. I don't subconsciously feel it. Right. I don't. So how can I, how can I uh, like feel gratitude? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question and I'm with you on affirmations. I'm not a huge fan. Just because I think if we're saying something that isn't true, it's like our subconscious knows it isn't true. 
And it just feels stupid to me, but I will say, and I don't mean to, to mock that if, if that's a practice that works for you, that's where it's at. If it works for you, then do it, you know? So just because that doesn't work for me, I don't mean to say that it's a stupid practice for anyone else. Um, but I do think there's, there could be a conflict between what we're saying consciously and how our subconscious mind takes that in. I think a nice workaround to that is to ask ourselves, what if, like, you know, what if my business is already thriving? What if I've, I've already completed my doctorate degree? You know, what if I hiked this big peak? And I think that opens up a little bit more room in our subconscious. And so I do like kind of affirmations in that format. Um, as far as your question about how to feel gratitude, it becomes learning how to feel, you know, anything. And so that's the other piece that I really try to start people off with is again, that concept of noticing, noticing moments when you feel like yourself. And that can be noticing when you feel, when you have a, a peaceful moment that can be noticing when you feel calm, can be noticing when you feel excited or energized, but really take, you know, take a full three full breath cycles and notice what's happening in your body. And like, that's the whole secret to get started is to notice, like notice it from a sensation based level. You know, what am I, what's happening to my chest right now? Meditation. Um, I mean, it, it can be a, a part of meditation. I don't really do this as part of a meditation practice, but certainly there are body-based meditations that are very similar to this, but you can do it so quickly. You know, you can, I recommend people do it in the shower and especially I've got a window in my shower. So, you know, it's great because I'll have this warm water on me. And then a lot of times I'll have the breeze and I can see the mountains from where I am. And it's this very lovely, very sensory rich experience. And so that's a great time to notice what's happening in your body. Like, oh, you know, the water feels warm on my skin and there's this breeze coming in. And, you know, how is it just to be like massaging my head with the shampoo or whatever it is that's happening? I'm so jealous of you. <laughs> I love you really like my showers. It's, it's, I live in an urban area, but it's, you know, on clear days, I have a lovely view of the mountains that we can often hear the ocean, which is really nice. But to take that in, you know, it's lovely to say like, oh yeah, that's here. But if I'm just going about my day, which I can, I can certainly get in that busy mindset mode, like anyone, you know, I have a lot to do always, it feels like, but to take, to press pause and notice what's happening in your body. Like, and that's how you can start feeling gratitude too. When you think of something you're grateful for, spend a minute with it. Notice what happens in your body. Notice, maybe pick one place in your body and notice like, oh, okay, what's happening in this area around my heart or what's happening to my abdomen. Um, and just notice what's there and be kind of curious about it. And you can cultivate that. You can, the more you spend time with it, and that way it really is like a, a meditation practice or some kind of a practice where the mm. more you do it, the more you're, you become able to do it. So earlier you mentioned about having a bespoke approach to stress management. Like everybody will, will, will do different things in order to manage their stress. What kind of things do you see other than gratitude other than um uh, hiking for example what kind of things do you normally see people do in order to manage stress like i'm sure you've had clients who were really stressed at one point but by the time they got through with you <laughs> they were they were quite unstressed or they were very relieved they were very relaxed and what kind of things did, do then do you normally tell them to do to make sure that they achieve that basically um, I mean, again, a lot of the work that I'm, that I do is really focused on getting people in their bodies. And so we do a lot, a lot of work with that. Um, but just some other practices that seem to work well for stress are, I'm a big fan of Qigong, 
which is uh, similar to Tai Chi. It's non, there's no martial application. So more people are typically familiar with Tai Chi, which is, um, it's actually a martial arts from China. It's centuries old. And so Qigong is very similar, except for it's not a martial art. It's only for healing. And so it's slow movements that are coordinated with the breath. It's wonderful for you know, for joint health as well as for balance, but it can be very meditative and you can really get into a nice flow state. And so for people that don't really like sitting meditation, maybe they sit all day at their jobs, maybe it's hard for them to sit. I really like this practice because it's gentle movement. It's got a whole bunch of health benefits, um, but it helps to calm the mind down and it helps to bring them a bit more into their bodies and just to do a nice, lovely, gentle practice that gets them in the present moment anything that gets us in the present moment is going to help us stress. It's just that simple. Um, I mean, it's not always easy to do that, but it is really quite simple. If we're in the present and we're present with our bodies and what's happening and our breath, then there's really not a lot of stress unless we're in a stressful situation at that moment, you know, if we're being chased by the tiger or by the dog or something like that. But typically it's this forward thinking or, you know, worry about the past or shame. It's all these other things that come in and like, pile on to us. And then we just carry them around. Like, like we're like, this is who we are. And it's not, you know, it's just all of these accessory. Our, our evolutionary uh, predecessors did that uh, when they were out there hunting or they were attacked. Do you think they went to their caves and sat with their wives or their children and be like, Oh, uh, I've this lion just came on to me today. I, I just don't know what to do. It's so hard out there. You know, do, do you think they, they, they went through this motion or uh, were they more, primitive in a sense where they were like hmm, no big deal it happened and and they just carried on and they just went to another day i mean i think you know i don't know <laughs> but i think uh, <laughs> and it was interesting i actually did an interview with bruce perry um a few weeks ago and i don't know if you or your audiences are familiar with him he's a documentarian and he's um he produced this bbc bbc show called tribe a I think about a decade ago, um, but he went and lived with indigenous peoples all over the world and the remote corners of the earth, these tribal people. So he was really interesting to talk to. Um, and he was talking about how like hunting and foraging too, they're, they're these really hyper meditative states because you have to be constantly aware of everything that's happening around you and of, you know, every movement that you make and all of your senses are heightened. So you're so much in the present moment that there isn't a lot of time for cumulative stress is, I, is, uh, I believe that the gist of the point he was making. Um, and I think that makes so much sense. So if that's the case, and it certainly seems like it, like you've really got to be on your game if you're out there tracking and hunting and, and foraging. Um, and so if you get attacked, of course, that's going to be stressful. But I think because you're in the present moment when those things are happening, you probably, I would guess, I would hypothesize that you probably don't carry it home as much as we do. Because I think that existing in the present moment, you you exist in the present moment and then you move on. So you, what you're saying is that you are, you're constantly, because you're constantly on a regular basis experiencing same level of stress, it becomes to the, it comes to the point where it's a norm to you in a way. And therefore you're not carrying it home. And, um, but, but then again, it's, uh, it's, I guess we're hypothesizing right now at this moment in time, because tomorrow something else might attack you and that might attack you in a completely different way than the thing that attacked you before. So I guess that's, uh, I, but the, I guess the, the, 
the adrenaline um, release in the body would be the same though, wouldn't it? So I guess it would be very, very similar in that regard. Yeah, I think so. And I don't think it's that you're under the same level of stress so you like get used to it. I think when you're present, it's really hard to have the same amount of stress. It's, it's a different kind of stress. It's like you're taking it in and dealing with it in the moment versus kind of not really dealing with it in the moment and then ruminating about it later, which is what I think we do more of these days. Okay, so, here, so exactly. So here's a question I have then. And then as an average human being doing their nine to five, running their lives, how can they distinguish between a stress that is a good stress, i.e. adrenaline release versus a bad stress, which is causing them anxiety and trauma? I guess it would, again, I, I know, um, I understand that it will also depend on how they're feeling in that moment as well. But how can they distinguish and quickly nip it in the bud in a sense by saying, okay, I need to really be grateful now or go on a hike or something because this is going to spiral out of control. I mean, I think it's really comes down to noticing what's happening in the moment because we can't always, mm. you know, leave and go on a hike. I think if we can bring <laughs> our, I think, you know, I wish we could. Well, um, I did that. I used to do that all the time yeah, on the I weekend. Did. If I had a stressful week, I'm, okay, I am off. I am not going to be here for the next two days. Goodbye. Yeah. So I used to do that all the time. Certainly, certainly. But if we're in the middle of a meeting or we're in the, we're in the middle of traffic, we typically can't just walk out and say, you know, I'm going to go for a hike. I think to speak to your point, we should plan things like that in. Like I'm with you. I hike. I've been hiking like twice a week. Um, and it's wonderful, you know, it's, it's so needed and it's very restorative and that helps me to stay closer to my nervous system baseline and to be well-regulated within my system. Um, you know, I, I think as far as distinguishing between good and bad stress, I think if it's making you feel terrible over the long, long term, it's probably not great. If it's something that kind of helps you to not feel terrible, then it's probably not so bad. But again, I think it comes back to art. Can you be in the present moment with it? And if you can't, then is there a way to, I think another piece to this too, because I work a lot with the, um, I work a lot with the recovery community and with alcoholic women who are now sober or who are in recovery. Um, and so it's like, there's also this piece of when we're under this chronic stress, are we reaching for something else like a substance, alcohol, drugs, food, um, sex, whatever? Are we reaching even binge watching TV? Are we constantly or consistently reaching for something outside of ourselves to make us feel better because of this, you know, a chronic stressor? And if that answer is yes, again, I would look at, you know, okay, is there something in my environment I can change or what do I need to do internally to know that I'm, I can make myself feel better from the inside out. I don't need to reach for this potentially harmful or destructive external behavior. Um, if it's come to that, I'm not saying watching TV or having a glass of wine is always bad, but if it, if it becomes a habitual behavior where you're just completely disconnecting and like, that's your goal at the end of the day is to disconnect. There's a problem there. Like I think there is, I mean, I don't want to walk through my life disconnected. Hmm. Uh, plus, earlier I asked you a question about is thinking about a certain situation necessary, but uh, but you replied with it might. Uh, uh, you you said you're not sure whether it's necessary or not, but it it's definitely not going to help the situation get any better. Now, um, at that point, I actually had a question, but I was like, okay, should I ask this question or not? But then it escaped me, so it's coming back to me right now because you were mentioning this same point. Um, how how can how are we able to, from from a, from an actual standpoint, how are we able to um, make sure that whilst 
everything is happening around us um and 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 and, and how should i phrase this in a, in a sense how 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 whilst i'm thinking about whilst i'm thinking about th- this stressful situation that has happened to me surely surely this is a good thing for me moving forward because i am analyzing what went wrong uh, yes i'm in that stressful moment in time and i'm constantly thinking about it maybe constant thinking is is no good like you said earlier but surely thinking about it allows me to analyze what i have done so that i do not repeat that ever again and is and having that sort of loop play in my head isn't that a good thing in the long run wouldn't you agree um i i think if we're if it's like ad nauseum no i don't think it's a good thing i think it's wonderful to do some critical thinking and to look at ways that we can improve ourselves you know i'll do that with i'll do that with various aspects of my work um and analyze okay like this is a really great area for me to improve this is a good learning edge this is how i could have done that better differently that's wonderful but if you're ruminating and constantly stuck in shame or um or fear or stress around something. No, I don't think that's great because what is it doing for us? Like is that we're not in the present moment and if it's just increasing more feelings of of shame and detriment or you know negative beliefs about our own self-worth, I don't see how that's helpful. I think critical analysis is great. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a scientist. I'm a I believe in research. I'm an evidence-based practitioner. Um but to the point like there's got to be a point of Okay, this is great. This is what I learned. Now I'm moving on and I'm going to step try to continue my life forward like being in the present moment. And um I I just think there's a difference between rumination where to the point where you can't sleep at night because you're constantly going over a situation in your head. I don't think that's healthy. Um I yeah, I don't think that's healthy. So 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 let's so let me paint you a picture then. So say somebody needs to needs to have a big meeting um in the morning and they're uh, have you watched a show called Friends by by any chance? Oh sure. Of course. Okay. So I don't know whether you remember but Chandler uh ends up sleeping in a in a in a very important meeting and uh when he speaks to his supervisor uh he says to the he says to the supervisor the reason I I was kind of sleeping is because I kept on thinking about this meeting mm-hmm. last night which wouldn't let me sleep. So I'm sure this is a very common theme amongst a lot of people who are living this office 9 to 5 kind of lifestyle. Um what would you recommend that they should do whilst they're in that state in that moment in time they can be grateful but would that gratitude help them allow them to go to sleep probably not i mean i think that's tough when you're stressed out i think you know now we're sort of talking about sleep and and that's a that's a huge you know entire topic and i'm i'm not a sleep expert um i think things some kind of general things that you can do for sleep or to do some kind of an some kind of exercise tire your physical body out a couple hours before bed um so that you're not doing it right before you go to sleep uh, especially if you have a big meeting or a big project i think we all experience like that you know it's like a kid at christmas you're excited you don't really it's harder to get to sleep or you're nervous so i think that's that can be part of our human condition so i think exercising is really helpful and then spend some time quieting down do some kind of a meditative practice um do a little Maybe qigong, qigong. yeah do a little guided mm. meditation you can work your gratitude into that if you're not good at just sitting you can listen to a guided meditation um you know even warm baths with the epsom salts something about the magnesium can be really helpful and the hot water can help to calm your nervous system down 
all these things are helpful. Um, you could take a magnesium supplement before you go to bed. Sometimes that can be particularly helpful, you know, as long as that's safe for you and all of that, depending if you have any other conditions. Um, but I think in general with sleep, trying to establish a sleep routine is really, really helpful. I do work with people that have a lot of insomnia. That was a big issue for me for a long time. So it's establishing, trying to establish like a little bit of a sleep routine that really transitions you from the doingness and the busyness of the day and to into sleep. So you have this window of time that's all about just preparing for sleep and that's creating an, uh, some time and space for some beingness before you lie down. So it's not just, I'm going to work, 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 and then go try to sleep. Cause then our brain is still going, we've got all these things moving, but if we can you know, even if it's a 10 minute practice, maybe we don't have a lot of time, but if we can do a 10 minute sort of ritualistic kind of behavior pattern before we go to bed, that does help people start to move into better sleep. Um, for a one-off like that, where you have a big meeting the next day, I think I would probably exercise a lot, take a hot bath, try to do a little meditation and, you know, hope for the best. Imagine telling that, imagine telling that to someone who works a corporate job. Oh, forget about preparing for the meeting tomorrow. Go for a two, three hour exercise, then do some Qigong, then take a hot bath, take some magnesium pills and then go to sleep. Forget about the meeting. Don't worry. You'll be fine. I mean, I do say that to, to people in corporate though. I'm not, I don't think there's anything you know, weird or woo woo about it. I think these are no. There's, not, there's again, this actual is, research. I agree with you, but I'm saying, how would they receive that, knowing that they have a meeting to worry about? How would they be when it helps them? Yeah. When it helps them, they receive it really well. Oh, really? When they wow. sleep better and they do well in the meeting, and when they start noticing these things work, people eat it up because it works mm, and they feel better. True. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think anything I tell people to do is typically there's some evidence behind it, and also. You know, once people do it and they have that their own evidence of, oh, wait, this worked. You know, it doesn't have to be in like hours of a practice. But if you can say, okay, for tonight, I want you to take an hour, do 30 minutes of exercise, get your heart rate up, take a hot shower or a hot bath, and like spend 10 minutes doing a meditation app and then go to bed, people will try it. Most people, and if they don't, they don't, but a lot of them do and they feel better and they sleep and they're like, wow, that really worked. I think I'm going to start trying to build in a sleep routine. So, I mean, it's a, if stuff is effective, people are typically on board with it. Of course, especially people who are actually coming to you for advice. Because most of the people who, uh, I, know, uh, so, I know some of my friends, I, I remember I've gone through this myself, where, where I was like, oh, it's only one day of no sleeping. What's the big deal? I'm going to do the meeting. I'm going to come home and I'll just sleep early today and then I'll be fine. And you realize you're not because your, your body's confused because your circadian rhythm's all messed up. And um and, and, and I completely, I'm with you. Uh, so I think it's important to, important for especially people who do have corporate jobs, I don't have any more, um, obviously, I would definitely recommend that to open your mind and start accepting like these kind of rituals and these kind of practices that are evidence-based and they will help you change your uh, behavior pattern basically and, and allow you to kind of manage your stress at work and sleep better as well so so thank you for that um i have actual question regarding your career how did this combination of mind brain and physical therapy kind of kind of married up in your head like how did that happen because you have a company that caters to the mind which is stress release and and stress relief sorry and, and 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 managing that and you also have the side where you are doctor of physical therapy and you have a company that manages with all the physical issues as well in patients how did that happen 
Sure. So a lot of the stress relief work I do is very body-based with the somatic experiencing practices. And so physical therapy was a second career for me. So I went back to school when I was 30 and spent, um, you know, eight years getting my doctorate, going through undergraduate, getting my doctorate degree. So prior to that, I was really in the, the holistic health field, Um, I studied Chinese medicine. I was a licensed massage therapist for many years. Um, I studied stuff like polarity therapy and I, I traveled pretty extensively in my twenties. And so I had the opportunity to live and work with healers from different regions. You know, I did a lot with native American healers and, and I got to learn a lot. And so I saw how I saw just a different perspective than the Western medical perspective, you know, from a pretty young age, you know, I studied plant medicine down in Central America and was in the jungle and and just learning these different things from traditional healers within their own traditions. And it was a wonderful education. And I saw like how important it is to, I guess, have a holistic view of, of health, medicine, healing, whatever you want to call it. And then you know, so I, I kind of spent my twenties doing those things and, and traveling and, and had a massage therapy practice. And I worked a lot within the medical field. You know, I worked a lot with doctor's offices and, um, did a lot with chronic pain. And then I just became very focused and wanted to go become a doctor. So physical therapy was a, the right path for me there. And so why, I did that. why doctorate um, in the first place? I mean, why, why, for example, why, why spend three years first, obviously you spend a lot of time, um, in the Eastern way of medicine and, 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 and but then you came back, I suppose, to West and you d- decided to do a doctorate. And that was, I guess, Western, um, medicine. I I don't know how to kind of phrase it. Western science, in, in a sense. Sure, yeah, it's like Western medicine. Yeah. I would I would put physical therapy in the in the Western medical. Yeah. So why wh- why did you decide to 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 do like to do the two? Like how how did that happen? Oh, uh, I wanted yeah, I wanted to broaden my scope of practice. Essentially, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be able to treat people differently beyond what I was doing as a massage therapist and as um as a holistic health practitioner, and I just. Uh, I just wanted more, you know, more information, more knowledge. You know, I've always been a pretty astute learner. So I like education in school. That stuff makes sense to me. I was always really interested in research and neuroscience and, um, you know, physical therapy covers a good bit of that. I don't know that people know that, but it does. I had a pretty extensive neuroscience curriculum as part of my program. And yeah, I just was really curious, you know, I, I wanted to be able to serve people with more information, more education, more knowledge, and really broaden my scope of practice. And then when I discovered the somatic experiencing work a few years ago, that really brought, brought a lot together for me because it, because it does work with, um, it does work with this body-based perspective of healing stress and, and trauma and works with the nervous system, which have always been just great, areas of, of love and interest for me, it, it has made a lot of sense in how I practice because I can do some of the somatic experiencing work with my physical therapy patients. Maybe they've had a trauma like a car accident or a fall. And then this work, this nervous system work can be incredibly beneficial in their healing. Um, but I just, I have a lot of, I had such bad anxiety for a, a really long time. And so, and I see how prevalent this, these rates of chronic stress are, um, 
in the United States, in the Western world. And it's, it's heartbreaking almost that people are suffering to the extent they are and don't really need to be, you know, it's different when people are in a big accident and we're dealing with healing there. It's kind of a different thing, but to have, to be able to have tools and have experience in education to help people try to mitigate some of this daily stress and to come back into their bodies and back more into their kind of essential selves as humans. Mm. Um, to me, that feels like really useful work and, uh, it's work I really enjoy doing. So wow. it's kind of how it all came together. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time in the making wow. it's decades, it's really, of life. but wow. Yeah, I know. It's interesting how these things come in at certain times. But the SE, the somatic experiencing work, really pulled a lot together for me, uh, you know, personally, but professionally as well. And, and as far as how I work these days. So if there's a young Alice listening to you right now, what would your top five um, advice would be for her? What kind of things does she need to do? What kind of things young girl uh, who's interested in plant medicine, for example, who's interested in these unconventional, um, non-Western, I should say, uh, practices, uh, and also is interested in science? What kind of route do you think she should take in order to become a successful version just like you? Um, I mean, I think there's lots of different ways to explore. I think finding a mentor is good. I think find people or someone who are doing something that you would want to do and ask them about, you know, how they got there, what education do they have? I think that's really useful to conduct informational interviews um, and see, you know, yeah, see who's doing what they're what they're doing. Find someone to mentor you is really helpful. It's good to have more than one mentor, I think, too, not to just get too sucked in with one particular person. Is that what you um, had? But cert certainly to build those relationships over time. Um, I had I've had some mentors, yeah, through my life. I had a woman when I was in massage school who was an, an herbalist and a natural health practitioner, and I'd say she was definitely a mentor. I've had a few um, and some spiritual teachers along the way. But even now, you know, I work with coaches. I work with yeah. I continue to work with people that I feel can help move me forward along my own evolutionary journey to be the best version of myself or, or just to stay like really in good touch with myself and be successful. I think to start investing when you're young, I really wish I'd told myself that I, I like just start investing. Too, to be honest. I, I think anyone who's passed, you know, over the age of 30, <laughs> it's like, why didn't I start this when I was 18 or 19? Just start, you know, get a mutual fund. You can get set up with a Betterment account or a Vanguard account. And it's really pretty easy. You don't need to do anything fancy, but start that, um, get that going and, you know, and have faith in yourself. And I think if you are finding yourself engaging in behaviors that aren't moving you towards really the life that you see for yourself and then cut them out and get help if you need to around cutting them out. I think that's a big one. Like, don't, don't wait. Life is short. Travel a bunch, you know, climb a lot of mountains. Nature's important. Even I would agree with that, to be honest with you. Wow. But you know what, you know what earlier, earlier you mentioned about um, being in the shower and looking at the mountains from where you lived. Um, I realized I was envious of that before, but now I realize um, I always say to myself, like, because I go to Switzerland a lot. I was like, if I lived mm. it amongst these beautiful peaks, I would not appreciate what I have. So isn't it better for me to just live in a crappy area and then just be like, oh, I need some time away so I can just run away. And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't want to live in a crappy area personally. Oh, fair enough. I think it's nice to live somewhere you like. When I say crappy area, I mean like an urban area with no mountains. 
So you can be like, okay, I need some time away so I can really appreciate the natural beauty. I don't know whether you, because uh, I found that to be really effective because uh, uh, in managing my stress. <laughs> I think I appreciate, you know, the like I live right by the ocean. So I walk these cliffs all the time and I appreciate that. But then I go, you know, the mountains are an hour away. And so I drive out there a few times a week and I'm, I really appreciate that. I, maybe I'd appreciate it less if I was there all the time. I don't know. I, I do like having both. I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. It's nice to diversify our scenery. It does kind of make you appreciate things a bit differently than when you see them every day. But that's part of the practice too, is to develop and cultivate that appreciation. Because if you're in the present moment, it's like, well, everything you're seeing it for the first you time or you're, you're being present with it. What's you that? go into the city. Into the city? I mean, technically I live in the city. I don't really go downtown. I don't like it. It's gross. See, they, I mean, no, I just, I don't that's know. the gross part I was talking I'm about. Not, yeah, that's why I don't live there, though. I live right by the ocean. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> like, I live in this little well, beach part. I, mean, I am guaranteeing you right now, whoever's listening to this is wondering, like, heck, where exactly do you live? And I want to ask you that question now. Where do you live? You don't want me asking. Which city is it? I live in San Diego. Oh, San Diego. Nice. That is nice. I'm, again, I'm really jealous right now, but it's okay. Um, at least I don't have to drive like, like nine, 10 hours to get to another city. I mean, another city is like London, which is like two hours away from me, which is not bad. Um, where do, where do you live? Uh, You're in the UK yeah, somewhere? Bur- Birmingham, which is right in the center, which is beautiful for me because uh, Manchester's two hours nice. away, which is another, uh, and I've got Wales, which is right next to me, which is another country, basically. Um, and then London. Wales is beautiful. Yeah, and it, uh, absolutely, hundred and ten percent. But I, but I would hundred percent, hands down, uh, contest that nowhere near anything in the UK comes close to USA. Uh, I, I'm talking about nature here, and um, I, I don't know whether you know. You, I'm sure you would because you're an avid hiker. You know what Grand Circle is, right? Grand Circle Tour. If you don't know what that, do, do, uh, do you know what that is? Is that a place or a tour group? So, no, no, it's it's a it's it's so basically you guys have different monuments. So you have a monument valley, you have a Grand Canyon, you have like loads of those mm-hmm. like and and apparently they make like a actual circle of the main oh, sure. amazing hikes sure. that you can do, and it's like on the list for me that I want to actually go and check out, but I haven't had a chance, of course, and because of this COVID, it's a beautiful part of the country. Yeah, yeah so, a lot of red rock. Exactly. So I really want to go and like hike there and stuff, but I haven't, I haven't had a chance yeah, to do it. To do it. Yeah, I will do now because talking to you and you making me jealous about the ocean and and the beautiful peaks looking from your um, bathroom while you're taking a shower is just thinking <laughs> that oh god, you are so lucky, which is awesome. So, yeah. So I think uh, I think I've asked all the questions I need to ask, and I've uh, obviously chatted a lot with you as well which was a genuine pleasure one last question i was going to ask you before i let you go which is what is your mission in life now now that i've seen you you're you're this amazing uh, fascinating personality with so much to give and so much to offer you've helped countless people you uh, uh, in order to manage stress and help them f- with physical therapy as well what is your mission in life now where do you, where does alice see herself in five to ten years basically um i mean my mission is really like simple when I say it out loud, but it's really to help get people in their bodies as far um, and really help people be present in their bodies, which sounds so simple, but it's, I think it's deeply profound. Um, And that's been my mission for a while. And I think a few years ago, I was almost embarrassed to say it out loud. And now I'm just not because I've worked with enough people and, and helped them essentially to achieve that. It's not what people say that they want or need, but 
I know. <laughs> I'm like, this is my goal for you uh, because Love everything it. else gets easier. Um, five to 10 years. I don't know. I'd like to maybe have a little mountain house. Um, you know, I'd like to have my own I like the fact that you have very um, simple and very nice goals. Because a lot of people have like, a lot of people, yeah, the other day I had a lady on as well. She she was like, I just want to take care of my kids. And I was like, wow, you know, uh, it's it, the the goals completely change when, because you know, right now, I, obviously I'm single and uh, I don't have anybody to depend on, neither anybody's depending on me. So my whole focus is, is my business and what can I do with my business? So mm-hmm. I'm thinking bigger is better. And I'm like, I want to do this. I want to, I want to go national. I want to go all around Europe, then all over the world. And um, it, it, it's kind of nice to talk to people who are a bit ahead of me, like you and the lady I was speaking to the other day. Is it, and and you just get to realize, like, it's not about it's not about all of that. It's about the the little things that make you happy. And like you say, having a little mountain house uh, on a mountain wouldn't that be a lovely? And it is a lovely dream. It's a beautiful dream. And again, um, I'm going to steal that. Thank you so much. <laughs> you can, there's, there's plenty of mountains. And don't get me wrong. I want to have, you know, plenty of money. I'd like to be quite wealthy. Um, I'd like to do a lot of traveling. Um, and I don't think there's anything, I, I don't think that there's a mutual exclusion between wanting to have a simple, happy life and wanting to have, you know, finances to back it. I want to be able to continue working remotely and I like to travel, um, yeah, but really, I mean, my end goal is to be able to spend a lot of time in nature and to help people get present. That's it. Spend time with my loved ones. Do you, do you, um, do you want to like? Do you want to like set up a retreat where you take yes. people with you? Ah. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do retreats. I'd like to work with people in nature because, like you were saying before, it's such a big part of stress relief. It's a big part of coming back into who we are as essential beings. Um, and I love it so much. There's actually a woman here that's part of my SE program. That's what she does. And so I'm, I keep hinting to her when we're done with COVID and she's working again. I'm like, let me just come up and be your assistant and watch what you do. <laughs> Cause she does a lot of nature retreats around the nervous system work. Um, and people really like retreats too. I'm finding the more people I talk to, they're like, when are you going to do one? I'm like, well, after mm. COVID settles down, then we'll talk. Is it worth doing a PhD when you, can you not do what you're doing right now with a, with a master's? Um, I mean, I think fo- so physical therapy isn't a PhD. It's a clinical doctorate. And a lot of people don't know that. So I, I like to educate a little on the profession there is it's a clinical doctorate similar to a dentist, um, a medical doctor, but it's a, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. So it's not a PhD. Um, that's an, that's an additional school. Um, and sure, you don't need to have a, a doctorate to do, you know, to learn SE, to do health consulting. People do it all different kinds of ways. For me, that was just really important. It was just an important thing I wanted to do was to be a doctor. And, um, yes, so I did, but no, you certainly don't have to, um, school's pretty expensive. PhD programs are nice cause a lot of them will fund you, but you know, I know a lot of PhDs that also aren't really working. So it's not like a guarantee of, Hey, I'm going to do a whole bunch of education and then have my dream life. I think again, find people who are doing something close to what you want to do and then talk to them. Do they all have PhDs? Okay. Maybe you need one. Do they not? Then maybe you don't. It's really just an internal choice too. Like, do you like school? Um, yeah. And again, on topic of mentorship, and uh, I, 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 I don't know whether uh, this is going to be a thing or not, but uh, um, where can people find you? 
um, not for mentorship, but to sure. to 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 ask you for help. Maybe when you have a retreat, they want to come to you. Sure, retreat. definitely. And I do programs quite frequently. I'm launching a 30 day program again next week. Um, and I I do a lot of free offerings as well. And most of my work is online at this point, so it's accessible for people all over the world. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Alice Kirby. My last name is K E R B Y, and then. Um, my website is kirbymethodconsulting.com and that's got a lot of information as well and a contact form. And I have a little free um, guide to creating a morning ritual that you're welcome to download. It's got some good information and a link to a Qigong practice as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. Alice, you have been absolutely amazing. I mean, I've learned so much about everything, honestly. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was a genuine pleasure. I learned so much. Oh, and uh, yeah, um, I will definitely check your website out. Anybody who's listening, please do check out iskirbymethodconsulting.com. All right. Thank you so much, Alice. Take care. Thank you. Have a good one. This was Vital Educators Podcast by Ahmed Saki. Hope you enjoyed. Please follow or subscribe for more content every week.